Testing, testing, are we on? Testing, 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 are we on? Oh, 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 okay, I think we're good. Uh, hi there, welcome back, Run Your Mouth Podcast, it's uh, nice to have you here, and uh, right off the bat, I got a question for you, write this down, get out your notepad, get your pen and paper, be ready for this question, where's the safe and effective guy? You guys remember last week, when I was like, hey, listen, Whoever's out there saying safe and effective, safe and effective, if it's not safe and effective, listen, government's doing everything that they need to do to try and make me look good. I I know someone up in government, they got the memo. They're like, there's this guy, uh, Robbie the Fire. He likes podcasting from his car. No one realizes that he predicts everything right. So we're going to do this new thing where we're going to sit down every week. We're going to listen to the Run Your Mouth podcast and uh, whatever he says we're, we're just going to make it true the next week, and then maybe over time, people realize that this guy's like a fucking prophet, and he gets everything right, and we'll take Johnson & Johnson off the market. I mean, how do you guys, like, that's a tough spot. Whoever's that guy, you know, and, it, like, the footage is coming in, and the people are feigning, and he's got to get out there, and he's like, hey, what am I supposed to, just safe and effective, and then, you know, reports people are dying, they're like, hey, uh, am I still just safe and effective? We're not going with, like, uh hey, we're going to take a look at this thing, or hi, guys, we're taking a look at the numbers, and we still think that, you know, this is a good idea, these are freak occurrences, but we're taking a watchful eye, or hey, guys, we understand that you want to get vaccinated and that uh, you want to make decisions about your own risk. We personally still think Johnson Johnson's pretty good, but we want to let you start actually picking your vaccines uh, and maybe, or how about Johnson Johnson's pretty good, but it seems to be a little bit of a risk category for, no, they just went with, hey, it's safe and effective, safe and effective, safe and effective. And then, ah, shit, we better not uh, put that out anymore, which just means that when they were saying safe and effective and they should have been like, oh, maybe we should take a look at this. They were lying to you. So, you know, just don't think that they're ever not lying to you. If anyone ever comes and they're like, why aren't you taking this vaccines or why don't you have perfect faith in government? You can just be like, uh, well, don't you remember safe and effective guy? I wish we could actually put a face to the name. If you're out there and you've got some real journalism skills or Googling skills or, you know, you're just lonely and you want to send me an email, robsnewsroom at gmail.com. Hit me up. And uh, maybe we can find out who specifically was the guy who was out there, you know, telling the newspapers safe and effective. And so while we're talking about Johnson and Johnson, which turned out to be more like uh, safe and blood clotty, maybe that's what they should have gone with. Here is a little piece from a Reuters article. Other panel members and advisors, however, expressed concern that extending the pause could worsen issues related to equitable access to the vaccine, which is seen as important for serving hard-to-reach communities because it can be stored at normal refrigerator temperatures and given as one dose instead of two. Here's a quote. Any extension of the pause will invariably result in the fact that the most vulnerable individuals in the United States will remain vulnerable. Continuing. Several panel members wanted to vote to extend the pause by as much as a month, but Dr. Beth Pell, a global health expert at the University of Washington, argued that would send a signal globally of a major issue with the vaccine. It's not that whether or not there actually is a issue with the vaccine or if a couple people might die in the midterm, but if we can just keep pretending like everything's fine, let's stay the course. I don't want to send the message. This is back to her, the quote. 
that there is something fundamentally wrong with this vaccine, which I don't agree with. And if a couple people have to die between now and then and us actually figuring out if this one's as safe as the other ones, you know, we're all about uh, selling some vaccines here, so everyone's got to toe the party line. Continuing with her quotes. This is no longer me talking. It's a very rare event, Bell said, of the case of blood clots in the brain, known as cerebral venous sinus thrombosis, CVST for short, along with low blood platelets, quote, Nothing is risk-free. And isn't amazing how these people do understand, you know, the principles of risk and reward? Uh, when they were trying to sell us on shutting down the country, it was, you know, no no loss of life is acceptable. There's no concept of uh, risk for reward. There's no concept of the fact that everything has some inherent danger and we should leave it to people to make their own decisions. Uh, but now, when it comes to getting the vaccines out there that kill people, it's nothing is risk-free. And I also like the fact that these people readily admit that poor people might like the riskier option because riskier options are a little bit less expensive. And when it comes to healthcare, we can't afford everything. We can't get equal access to everybody. So maybe people should be able to make their own decisions about pricing and risk. And people who would otherwise have zero access might be willing to pay for a slightly uh, riskier, lower standard of care. And you guys might be listening to that and going, man, that sounds kind of evil. But guess what? We can't afford everything for everybody. And these people know it. And it is amazing how they'll invoke certain principles basically when it's convenient and they're trying to sell you something. Like we should just kind of have an actual conversation about like principles and do we stand by them? But instead, what the way you do is they just kind of invoke whatever makes sense for what they're trying to sell. And as long as we're talking about trying to sell something, why not try and sell you some Yokratum? It's the home of the $60 kilo. You know, if you're listening to the Run Your Mouth podcast, you already know that you can get a kilo for $60, but maybe you haven't decided to invest yet. Maybe you're reluctant. Maybe you're looking what's going on in the Kratom market and you think, is this thing already at all-time highs? Is $60 for a kilo the highest that Kratom's going to go? Maybe I should put my money into Dogecoin. Maybe I should put it into Coinbase. Maybe I should put it under my mattress and uh, hope that I don't wet the bed. I think you can still spend your currency if you accidentally piss on it. Also, you'd have a lot of mattress for that urine to actually drip through before the currency started to absorb some urine. And I bet, how well do you think a US dollar absorbs some urine? Maybe run that experiment. You know, maybe you're bored. Maybe even though all these women are getting uh, horny because they're vaccinated and they're like, wow, I can finally go out there and uh, get myself some uh, some penises again. Um, but you, uh, instead of doing any of that, instead of making plans next weekend, why don't you um, pee on a, on a dollar bill and let it like sit in the sun for a day, see if it smells like urine and then see if you can spend it in a store just just as an experiment, you know? The scientists aren't being scientists anymore. Science used to be about running experiments. Now it's just about listening to Fauci and trusting people, even if they have no uh, reasons or they haven't run any experiments. They just go, hey, three masks, four masks. Maybe we'll get up to seven masks. Then we'll do no masks. Uh, have we done any studies on this? No, but we're scientists. And that's the way science works now is we just say things. So we've got to bring back experiments and the way that science actually works. And so the hypothesis is um, how well does the U.S. dollar absorb urine and can you spend it after you've peed on it? So um, go test that because otherwise we should probably get the word out there to bedwetters that you don't want to keep your dollars underneath your mattress. Or maybe you can at least just put in some zip clock. I was trying to do an ad read here though for Yo Kratom telling you, you might think that the Kratom market's at all-time highs and you are wrong. Kratom, it's going up. 
2022 is going to be the year of the Kratom, where uh, suddenly inflation hits. Uh, you can't quite get the stuff in from uh, from the boats because they've they've got more of these female pilots who like clo- um, you know clogging up the Suez Canal. I thought that was so funny. Uh, whatever happened, there was some female. Uh, <laughs> there's like one lady who uh, you know um, I guess is captain of those giant freighter ships. And in Egypt, they put out an article that she was the one that caused the Suez Canal blockage, and she's not the captain of that ship, um, which is great. You know, that's the fun in our country. I guess the uh, propaganda is all uh, against white men, but there's something funny when it's maybe I don't know where I'm going with this one. Just bio kratom. Moving on with the episode, but before I move on with the episode. I'd like to remind you guys, I got some live dates. I might even update my website. Have you checked out my website? You just got to go to RobbieTheFire.com. I got a, a spreadsheet with some live dates. I know some of you guys are hitting me up. You can't find Childerberg. Um, and that's part of the adventure of Childerberg is uh, you just got to you gotta get in your car. You just got to go to Texas. You got to show up to Austin. It's like a treasure hunt where you just got to ask around. And then, you know, you go up to random people and you're like, I'm looking for the fag cast. And they're like, uh, I don't think they're even going by that name anymore. But the point is just get in your car, just head down to Texas, show up to Austin and just ask people where the unknown pod fa- podcast festival is going on in the woods. Um, or you could just hit them up on Twitter. They're very responsive. You, you just message the uh, Childerberg account. They'll get back to you with the details. I saw someone in the uh, part of the problem YouTube comments. They got the link in there. So come on out, Texas, Childerberg. That's sometime in May. I don't even know the dates, man. Am I bad at plugging? Uh, and then I also got Portland. I'm going to be going uh, Meecox, Meecox Unite. Uh, we're going to be, me and Kyle are going to be doing a gig at the uh, Libertarian, you know, state convention. Uh, so come out for that. And then we're starting to set up uh, some reports to our dates. So be on the lookout for that. All right, moving on. The war bells are drumming. Things are getting hot. Of course, uh, you know, Biden can't hear it because he's just walking around the Oval Office going, gosh, darn it, is that, you know, the thing. Wait, who's doing what to who? Because uh, apparently... When our president is using all of his mental energy to squint at a teleprompter, everyone's like, this is our moment. We can get away with it. You know, Russia, it's been sitting there. It's eyeballing Ukraine like a drunk chick at the end of the night. It's like, she's showing me her nickels. I can see them nickels. They're just hanging out of that. You look at this sloppy lady, the shirt's hanging down. I can get all that lithium. It's right there. And China's like, Taiwan, that's ours. It's always been ours. You keep saying Taiwan is Taiwan. But no, Taiwan is China. And Taiwan's like, no, we're definitely not China. But let's be honest. These Taiwanese people, they're pretty close to China. I mean, they're so close to China. I almost start thinking they're China. I mean, they probably got nice beaches. And China's got really powerful. And, you know, how how powerful you got to get where you just want to be like, I just want to conquer something. And it's right there. And I'm pretty sure that that's really China. And Taiwan's like, no, we're not China. But, you know, with Biden, uh, just unclear uh, how how much energy in the White House is just going into making it seem like Biden's still alive. Uh, and when you've got to put all your resources into trying to pretend like your president's still, you know, a functional human being, sometimes you leave the openings for these other countries to be like, all right, this is my moment. And then, of course, you got Israel and Iran, and they're like, dude, if China's get to take Taiwan and Russia gets to take over Ukraine, we, we, we want to finally have this fight. I mean, this thing's been 30 years in the making. We've been going back and forth with hackers and 
proxy terrorists and, and Hezbollah and funding whatever in the region. And, you know, I don't know, get, get Dana White out there promoting that fight. Iran, Israel, I mean, this thing, it's going to have to go down at some point. And so if Russia gets started with Ukraine, China gets started with Taiwan, and then the problem is the U.S. generals, they start sitting on the th- sideline and they're like, put me in, coach. Put me in. I'm ready. Let me bomb some shit. I got the best bombs, coach. Coach. If everyone else is fighting, I want to get out there. I want to, I want to bomb some shit too. And it's moments like these when everything seems uh, tense in the world. You need like a Michael Scott type character. Just some idiot who can cool tensions. Almost like a Donald Trump. Maybe maybe that's what we need. Someone like Donald Trump who could just show up and go, Listen, why don't we all just eat some McDonald's, okay? I'll get us some milkshakes. We'll get peed on by some hookers. Okay, we can all relax. Okay, we can all have some fun. It's going to be... We can have the best hundred years just getting peed on by, by hookers getting along, okay? In other news, this just came from uh, Nancy Pelosi. When asked if she was frightened during the January 6th, 6th incident, the House Speaker said, Well, I'm pretty tough. I'm a street fighter. They would have to had they would have had a battle on their hands, and that's because she really is a vampire. The proof is in. This lady's got baby blood flowing through her veins. She didn't give a shit. She was like, I fear no man. You know, she's like, come into my office, make my day. And how how great of a movie would that be? It's like a Tarantino style, Django Unchained, uh revenge porn type film where, you know, they break into the Capitol building and Nancy Pelosi just goes. I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me. And then the fangs come out. I could see it. Here's the opening scene. Guy breaks into her office. They think they have her cornered. But then her face starts to change. The fangs come out and boom, in a flash of an eye, she's at the guy's throat. She sucks him dry. She kills the other guy, slices off his head clean. Boom, blood splurts all over and she just flies off into the hallway. Next group of people come. They realize, oh my God, this is Nancy Pelosi's office. They open up the door and she's not there. But there's corpses. There's blood everywhere. And that's when everyone realizes they got a problem on their hands. The army comes in and they got to contain it. So they lock the doors. Word gets in. There's a direct line to the army if Nancy Pelosi has an above ground vampire incident. Usually they keep her underground for uh, for the feedings. But this time, you know, it, it wasn't prepared. Usually she's not allowed around people unless she's totally filled up with baby blood. But these protesters, they didn't realize whose door they were knocking on. So the army comes in, right? And they they, they contain the Capitol building. They show up. They've got a secret Nancy Pelosi containment unit. It's like in the Hulk movies where they got the, the, uh, the, the Tony Stark's got the Hulk kits. They got to lock down the building and the Nancy Pelosi's in there and she's gone straight Rambo. She's walking around like... They broke first doors. And then it cuts to some guy and Nancy Pelosi flies into the hallway and he's just there alone. It's like a horror movie where he's trying to find the exits and then she's right in front of him and he's like, I was just walking into the building. I was just walking. But then Nancy takes off her fucking throat and then everyone's trying to run. They're trying to get out of this building. They're like, where's the exit? Where's the exit? But it's a Godzilla movie at this point. Nancy's just flying around like a vampire, slicing off everybody's throats, taking them, killing them all. And I, that's my movie pitch. If you're out there, movie producer, robsnewsroom at gmail.com, or more likely the lady's just super uh, delusional and probably too dumb to be making decisions. I'm not saying she's like Biden level delusional and stupid, but stupid enough where she thinks she's getting into a fight with people and winning, which makes no sense. Uh, Cause more likely someone would open up the door and she'd think like, I've taken this one karate class and she'd get up into her karate stance and go, I'm going to, and then her hip would just break. She would just fold over, crack right in half. It would be uh, like a, like a broken slinky, just, you know, hip break. And she'd, 
still be alive, but her head would then be upside down, and she'd be like, uh, can you please help me and get me a clean pair of Depends before the hospital people show up? And next topic, but before we get into a next topic, wouldn't this be a wonderful time to learn about sheath underwear? Have you been sitting here this entire podcast wondering, when is it that we'll finally talk about the finest underwear in all of America? I come to this podcast, I don't care about the news, I just want the update on uh, sheath underwear. Are they still out there supporting people's dicks? Are they still out there with a pouch that you can put your wiener into and a little like uh, thing that you can put in your nuts into so that if you're out exercising or you've got, uh, you've got a Johnson and Balls that are flopping all over the place, they're constantly mushed up against each other, getting all sweaty to the point that when you pull them off to because uh, you want to take a piss, the guy at the stall next to you is like, man, that is one sweaty, sticky dick. What are you doing with that penis that that thing stinks and sweats so much? And you're like, oh man, I didn't realize I had sweaty dick syndrome. That's going to be like a new thing. We'll, 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 we'll make this ad. It'll be like those late night, um, you know, pharmaceutical commercials, which are, have you uh, recently met up with a girl on Tinder and she was going to blow you until she took a whiff of your dick? Well, you might suffer from sweaty dick syndrome. The disease where instead of uh, sweat coming out your armpits, it goes right out of your dick glands. And, you know, this is totally normal. It happens to plenty of people. And that's why we want to tell you about sheath underwear. Because as long as you're keeping your, your dick away from your balls, you're giving it a fighting chance to not smell like some football player who uh, just, uh, I don't know, played a lot of games and his ass crack stinks a lot. So anyways, that's the ad read for Sheath Underwear. Go to sheathunderwear.com, use the promo code RYM, you get 20% off. Uh, and sheathing is cool. You know, you, you get your sheath on, you feel like you've got uh, good energy. It's, it's good for working out and they're comfortable underwear. And if you're not that into putting your dick into dick holes, maybe your girlfriend feels like that's cheating. She's like, listen, I'm the only hole you should be putting your wiener into. And you're like, but it's underwear. It, it's not like we've got an emotional connection. She goes, I saw you talking to that pair of underwear the other day. I saw you texting with that sheath. I know what it means to you. And I don't feel, well, you can tell her, listen, I'm not even putting my dick in the sheath hole. I'm just wearing this like, uh, like, like it's uh, a <laughs> normal underwear. I know that the sheath hole is there. I know that it's available to me, but it's not like that. It's, it's not, it's not that kind of a relationship. I just wear these as normal boxer briefs, promo code RYM and, uh, you get 20% off. Next topic. Are you guys enjoying the corporate temper tantrum in Atlanta? Uh, you know, basically government went to these corporations and they went, guys, we're going to need all hands on deck. on pretending like this voting policy is racist. We believe in a democracy. These are the companies like we believe in a democracy where if we support Democrats at critical times, they'll give us bailouts when we need them. And that's why us at BlackRock, the incredible, powerful firm backed by Fed money and receiver of bailouts for junk bonds and whatever else the special purpose vehicles were for, because they don't really quite make sense to me. But BlackRock is going like, uh, so uh, what do you need us to speak out about? All right. Well, we're downright outraged. Yes. The, the government not being able to pr uh, provide ID to people that probably need ID for other activities in their lives is not a racist policy. But the fact that the same exact people who government is keeping from uh, getting an ID, we're not going to solve that problem. But the fact that they're voting and we've got a system here where we can't validate people because you're saying you don't even need an ID, the thing that you need for just about everything else. Um, 
well, that's the racist policy. And so it's all hands on deck because we got to make sure that the Democrats remain in control so that they'll continue funneling money through us. And then we can continue going to other firms and saying, Hey, you got enough ladies in management here? Cause otherwise you're not getting a loan. Hey, are you, uh, you know, investing in green energy? Hey, are you a part of the cause of pretending like, unless we're doing uh, that, we're moving away from uh, freedom or economic growth or open markets. And we're moving more towards putting resources only towards people that will talk about items like systemic racism, or basically we found a way of financing the left's agenda. And I'm in conspiracy theory space here, but if you go back down the RYM archive, do you guys remember when I was talking about how the Fed policy, there was talk about them uh, inserting that they're not just going to be working on this full employment versus inflation thing, which even that they can't do, but also policies that are going to specifically lift up minority communities. We're going to institute that, you know, things that are in the fringe of the left that have not become uh, I, I guess normal thought. And it's also just socialism. We're now going to implement into policies behind closed doors. Well, I'm telling you, I think what's going on here is that there's so much money um, flowing from government. Government is now your best customer. It's not about participating in the market. It's not about offering valuable services that people want. It's about making sure that your team in government is in power and will get you bailouts or other things that you need at critical junctures in time. And or that there's just so much money flowing from the Fed through banks like BlackRock that the only way that you're ever going to be able to remain solvent or get loans or financing or not just be overtaken by competitors that have these things is if you play ball. And part of playing ball right now is that they want this new socialist world. And so you better play into some of these uh, fringe political ideas of, you know, whatever your laundry list of dumb leftist bullshit is. And all right. I get it. This is, uh, I, I don't have all of the pieces lined up here. We're in the, we're in a little bit of the conspiracy theory space. And I'll call myself out for that. I'll call myself out when I'm not, uh, completely informed, but lucky for me, the Biden administration actually listens to this podcast. And so if they're not currently doing this, they're going to be like, holy shit, that's actually a really good idea. If we can get a lot of money, um, being only handed to people that will regurgitate the same things that we're trying to propagate the people with, then it will be even louder. It won't just be coming from government. It won't just be coming from the press. It will actually be coming from, from, um, from companies as well, who you might've otherwise thought were interested in profits. And they're going to get a lot of cash into these things so that everybody, you know, is basically, um, uh, you're, you're policed to the point where if you're not, uh, you don't have these opinions, you're not really, working for the leftist agenda, you know, it's like me and a comedy career. You can't have it. <laughs> you realize you're on the wrong side of opinions. And so you can never get funding for a project. You'll never get on a TV show. Or maybe, maybe, uh, that's just my excuse. But anyways, for all of you out there listening, thinking, oh man, he's putting forward some crazy conspiracy theories here. I want to read this to you. This is, um, a article from the wall street journal, BlackRock profit inflow surge. Asset manager posts 49% earnings rise as investors look towards pandemic recovery. Uh, isn't that convenient? The firm that got to process all of the Fed money to all the other big banks that are uh, making some good money this year, their earnings managed to rise somehow during coronavirus environment while the country shut down. Somehow these guys have managed to make investments that have brought them, uh, there's, that, there's that many growth in opportunities for returns in the market. Their, their whole commercial mortgage portfolio is up. 
Uh, everything is doing well, that their returns are 49% higher because we all know how the economy's cooking this year. And so it would make sense that, uh, all right, let's continue. BlackRock Inc.'s quarterly profit rose 49% as the giant asset manager benefited from surging markets and investors' willingness to bet on an economic recovery. The firm posted a first quarter profit of $1.2 billion, or $7.77 a share, up from $806 million, or $5.15 a share a year earlier. BlackRock's revenue rose 19% to $4.4 billion from $3.7 billion in the year ago, period, when, uh, when panicked investors fled to cash while a pandemic rippled through the globe. So that's just talking to uh, the power of BlackRock. I think a couple years ago, the players were uh, J.P. Morgan Chase. They were uh, Goldman Sachs, and these are still players. But I don't know what goes on behind the scenes that some of these people manage to get the guys from their firm into the administration. I'm actually reading... Uh, uh, what's his name's book, which I've been reading for too long. Cause I, 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 I pretend like I sit down every night to read and then it really just only happens once a week, but I'm reading Rothbard's the history of money and banking. And, uh, there's an interesting storyline in there. I'd love to make it a movie one day about how the, how the fed came to be, but there's a period of time where the, uh, JP Morgans were competing with, uh, I want to say it was the, uh, the Rockefellers, where they're both trying to get their people into government to make sure that there are policies that are going to help their banks or get rid of investment banking from the other guy. They're just doing everything they can within with the power of government to basically destroy their competitors until at one point they decide, hey, why don't we just join together, make this Fed, and everybody wins. Uh, and it's the same stuff going on now, where it's basically this revolving door where you got to get people from your firm into government. It's no different than the military industrial complex or what Fauci probably is to the pharmaceutical companies, which I don't actually have any evidence of. But hey, I, I told you straight up that I'm uh, talking conspiracy theories now. I'm talking about the themes the way I think I see them with absolutely no factual evidence whatsoever. And that's what we do on this show. You can listen to another show if you want more factual evidence. Uh, so I think what I was trying to say is that I believe that BlackRock in for the next couple of years through the Biden administration, they're going to be the uh, the biggest player. They're going to be the ones who are processing the most Fed money, getting all that good bailout cash. And that's why they're, you know, really profitable. But let's continue because now we're going to get into this leftist agenda thing that I was talking about. After Mr. Fink helped usher in a revolution in ETFs, his next big bet is in riding on investors' interest in companies with higher environmental, social, and corporate governance rankings. BlackRock already provides technology to help banks and investors account for environmental risk and is aggressively aiding to ECG-themed funds. Technology services revenue, which include fees from the firm's software suit, also known as Aladdin, rose by 12%. BlackRock recently cut a deal with a group of banks to link, it list, link its own corporate lending costs more closely to achieving goals such as women in senior leadership and boosting assets and sustainability-themed funds. The move signaled BlackRock's view to Wall Street that it is possible, possible to measure the financial consequences of environmental or workplace goal, goals, end of the article, or more likely... Really powerful people are really invested in this story that we have to shut down worldwide economic growth in the name of the environment. And since they can't win these arguments or convince people of it, um, nor is it in, in line with the way a free market would operate. So instead, what we're going to do is we're going to start funneling Fed money through this firm called uh, BlackRock. And the deal is that as long as they're on board with only financing things that fall into almost what would be like a Chinese social credit type thing of the way you uh, feel about 
promoting women in leadership roles or only taking on projects that are environmentally friendly, well, then that's the only way that you're going to get money. And we're going to pretend like it's a free market where this is some bank that's just going to make these investments. But how can you pretend like they're just some bank where go look back at what happened with uh, with the fucking repo market and SPVs and them bailing out their own junk bonds. So listen, call me a fucking conspiracy theorist. Tell me I don't have any of the f- all the facts lined up here or that, you know, I'm just... Uh, giving nefarious attentions uh, to people that are actually trying to in some way help the world or help uh, the environment. But I'm just telling you that's straight up in a Wall Street Journal article and people might not be putting the cynical spin that I am on what's happening, but I'm pretty sure that right before our very eyes, um, the Biden administration is doing everything within its power to really enact laws that promote, like, by the way, there was a law that passed last week, um, something to do with enforcement that women, like, need to be making the same amount as men, which, I mean, that's just debunked. Like, just go talk to any, like, it's just not true. It's not true. Women leave the workforce because they're having kids. They don't put as much risk on their plate. And I also think you got a lot of, like, you know, you got a lot of men who, uh, you know, I don't want to get into that topic. I wasn't prepared to talk about that topic. I want to do one last thing and then get to our guest because this has already been a longer intro than I expected, but they're talking about packing the Supreme Court. That's the other thing that they're looking to do. You know, the Democrats are in power now, so they're thinking, hey, let's get more of our people on so that we can control the court. Then who knows, maybe four years from now, the conservatives take it back over. They start putting their people on it and then the Democrats come back. And then the next thing you know, all of us can have jobs on the Supreme Court. This can become the new uh, Bernie Sanders move to get everyone a job. We'll all work for the Supreme Court. We'll all get our paychecks. We'll all feel like we're powerful people. Uh, And of course, you know, the the line they're trying to go with is like, they stole the court from us first. So now we've got to restore the integrity of it. And it's not about having different branches of government. I get to make the one decision about the integrity of an organization. Uh, And you know what? I'm just looking at it and I'm thinking, have we really explored all the options on trying to prove that the current Supreme Court justices um, engaged in sexual assault. Because before we start trying to change the rules and completely, I mean, the Supreme Court, well, I mean, to what extent are they really enforcing the Constitution? I've read through some of these documents where uh, churches are coming in there and they're like, listen, why are we not allowed to be open? Those other people are going to be in there. And they don't even want to get into the power grab. They say it blatantly, at least the conservative justice, that we don't even want to rule about whether or not government can power grab at all. But here's why specifically the church thing uh, would not be an equal application of them overstepping that like we think they're overstepping and they shouldn't be able to do any of these laws but we're not going to rule on that we are going to rule on the fact that they if they um within the framework of them overstepping uh they seem to be an unequal uh and by the way it's going to take us an entire year before we can make this evaluation that you know certain companies that I guess we're in the pockets of the politicians like, you know, the film industry or airlines that they get to continue to go on, but the churches can't, you know, we'll just say, all right, this is an unequal application of your bogus laws, but we're not actually going to look into. So the point is the Supreme Court's a fucking sham, but talk about it being like a super sham when they start packing it. And uh, if we're talking about packing stuff, uh, let's do one last plug. Yo, Kratom, home of the $60 kilo sheath underwear. Uh, promo code RYM, you get 20% off. And now 
I bring to you, this is an unbelievable guest segment. I think I introduced him when I started talking to him, so we'll just roll right into that right now. But fascinating conversation uh, about Bitcoin and everything crypto. All right. And now, you know, there's a ton of crypto stuff going on. We got NFTs. We got people selling their own farts. We got Coinbase going live, taking over Wall Street. And I've got a special guest coming at you. Um, go follow him on Twitter. It's Guy Swan. If you're not familiar, he claims to have written the original white paper, Satoshi Nokomoto. He ripped him off when he established <laughs> Bitcoin. Uh, and he's got a better coin, which he wants to tell you about. It's called Green Coin, which actually gives back to the environment while also being a cryptocurrency. And he's using most of his funds to track down Satoshi Nokomoto because he knows he's out there and he's going to have him killed for stealing the white papers. So, uh, Mr. Swan, thank you for joining the podcast. <laughs> What is up, man? Did I get Probably. any of that wrong? I just want to make sure I'm no, uh, all 100% accurate. Okay, 100%. we really over here. You know, I, yeah. a lot of my audience came over from part of the problem. They like the hard hitting <laughs> news. So I try and uh, keep things up to par and factually accurate for everyone listening. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. You hit the nail on the head right there. So you have made the, cl the claim that you've read more on Bitcoin than anybody else. You've been petitioning for a conversation for a little while. Before we actually get into some of the uh, hot topics related to cryptocurrency, can you tell us a little bit of the uh, academic background? Or maybe you're as much of a bullshitter as I am and you know nothing and you, you're making bold claims on Twitter. Maybe both. Um, as far as the claim that uh, I've read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know, is just like, that's what the show is. Um, Bitcoin Audible is, uh, like I started with, I, I used to do, I was an internet technician and I was on the road all day. And so like podcasts became my thing. That's where part of the problem, Tom Woods, you know, like the whole libertarian lineup, um, became my, my go-to. And, uh, I wanted to be able to read all the articles about Bitcoin because there was just like this constant flood of stuff, but I didn't have any time to sit down and read anything. Um, and, uh, and I, re I really wished for years that somebody would just read them out loud in audio. Um, and one day I just kind of sat down on my bed and started doing it. Um, and then started doing my own like quote unquote guys take afterward, um, and, uh, expanded it into interviews and solo episodes. But the bulk of the show is still like, I just read, I read Bitcoin out loud. Um, so it's like audio books for all of the every bet uh, every absolute last bit of the best bitcoin written content out there. all with the southern drawl where all are you from actually southern drawl where um, are you from north carolina oh, okay, north cool. carolina <laughs> and uh if you had to recommend your top three favorites for um understanding bitcoin or maybe even getting like the in-depth look what would you say are the kind of the must reads to you know get yourself some crypto knowledge that is a good question um uh i recently did an audiobook which is a great framework for how to think about bitcoin in the context of like our current monetary system uh it's called layered money um it's by nick batia uh that is a fantastic one uh for uh on the show specifically uh shelling out by nick zabo that is one of the quintessential pieces um, in this space, just because it like goes through the history of money and some of the core fundamental principles that make one money when, you know, there's this very difficult barrier that we have, like where we think of money as the medium of exchange and the unit of account. But at some point, the money was only used by two people. 
And there are very explicit characteristics of it that suggest while it's only two people, it could be a great money. It's like, what are those? Why does one money beat out another through it in all this crazy history of competitive monies? And Nick Zabo just kills it in that piece. Um, and then another one is the bullish case for Bitcoin uh, by Vijay Boyapati. Um, it's kind of a simplification, a short version of maybe like the Bitcoin standard. Um, but it's kind of all the fundamental principles you could you could get wrapped up in those two, probably. I got to tell you, uh, the Bitcoin standard is one of the best books I've just ever read. Uh, I mean, I don't it's read so like, good. yeah, I don't read fiction books. And I, I mean, that book introduced me to the concept of time preference, which was not something I was familiar with. Uh, there, I also, he had the, a brilliant argument, which I love a good argument that changes my mind on something. And I'd listened to a lot of Doug Stanhope comedy where he really rags on, uh, overpopulation still love Stanhope. One of the great, <laughs> one of the greatest comics ever. All of his bits on overpopulation are great, but I loved the, the guy from Bitcoin standard. He had his argument where basically you need it. It's a numbers game. You need to run through a certain amount of idiots before you get to a genius. And that what that <laughs> genius can do for us is basically possibly solve all the problems that we think we have. So, you know, like yep. keep cranking out idiots. Don't think that there's like not enough resources because it just takes one freak genius to solve, you know, crazy problems like removing us from oil and getting us actually like on, you know, sun energy or uh, food out of algae. Who the fuck knows what some freak genius can solve for us? Yeah. But that's what's so good about that. Like I, I'm just, I, I struggle. I try. I get, I fall in and out of the habit of trying to read for, I mean, I read the news every day, but I try and read books like at night and I have some weeks where, you know, I read every night and then I got um, like, I'll take a month off. It's like the way most people go to the gym, Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but the Bitcoin standard, I sat down, I read through it. It was a great read. Hell yeah. No. Yeah. I love that concept too, because like just in the nature of the market is the idea is, is that if it takes 200 people to get one person to come up with one amazing idea is the market will spread that idea and compound it over every single participant. And like it will more than make up for the 199 idiots that you had to you had to pay for to get there. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, it's a it's a fucking it's a numbers game. Book. It's, it's like numbers sales calls, smile yeah. and dials. You just gotta crank out <laughs> some dumbasses. So the first book that you recommended, what's the uh the short pitch on kind of the concepts he brings to the table? So uh, layered money. Um, and Nick Batia kind of breaks down the the history of what we think of as the monetary system, uh, starting with kind of the first quote unquote virtual money, like the first stock market. Um, it was uh, it was the Amsterdam burst back in like the 1500s, and it was the first time that we were really trading IOUs. We were trading like second layer money instruments, virtual instruments that were like paper promises to the money we actually used, which was like gold. And, and then it just kind of walks from there through the history of these instruments, how they rose and then ended up collapsing because, uh, because they end up getting abused because it's a whole lot easier Isn't to write it? a promise than it is to fulfill that promise. Um, and, and then the construction of these quote unquote money pyramids where you have different layers of money and then every time there's a collapse or a default crisis, what you actually have is people trying to race back to the base money. Um, they're they're trying to climb. They're they're, they're fighting to get back down the pyramid um, to where the real money is. 
Um, and then positioning Bitcoin as not another app, not like a payments layer on top of our monetary system. It is a new base money in which we are building an entirely new monetary pyramid. I think for uh, for people into the fancy lingo, what you're describing of racing down to like the core money, um, I think the technical term for that is probably Gershom's Law, that uh, yeah. um, which uh, in Rothbard's book, which I'm trying to read now of a history of money and banking, he he it, it's it's the problem is he, there's almost too many examples in there where it gets a, a like a tad boring and he doesn't like. I, it's an excellent book. I'm sure smarter people than me would criticize that I even think that some of it's boring. There's almost <laughs> so many examples in there where it gets a little bit technical as opposed to just showing you the bigger picture, which is just repeatedly every single time someone's tried to create a like a basically a bank and have some sort of a money that's not tied strictly to gold, um, it just becomes an inflationary scheme and it doesn't yeah. work. It collapses every time. And what's interesting is we just have the biggest scheme right now but if you look at history, it's not it's not a sustainable thing. It's collapsed and failed every single time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's fundamentally built for imbalance and, and it creates counterparty risk over on top of counterparty risk. Like that's kind of the insane situation that our financial system is in because of the constant manipulation of prices, because uh, of the manip manipulation of interest rates is we're so deeply indebted that rather than being isolated to our own little financial worlds, I'm indebted to the next guy who's indebted to the next guy who's indebted to the next guy. And you create a series of dominoes where 20 people down the line, one random bank can collapse. And because we're all tied together, we all fall at once. The well, whole all, thing is yeah, incredibly fragile. We're all tied together because we need to create the illusion that this is sustainable. And for the US that yep. like there's demand for its debt at the low interest rates, Mm -hmm. um, and that's part of almost why uh, the big banks do so well is like they've almost hijacked the system where we're all held ransom. If they don't if they don't remain solvent, it we're shows up. the weakness Everybody. of the entire <laughs> system. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, it's like we're constantly held hostage by them and they they're able to to profit off of that. Uh, to go back to what you said originally with the um, with just the creation of. Um, almost what you were saying, it, it like the first, it's not really a derivative product. It was just paper money backed by gold. Now, the efficiency of that is that, you know, gold, if I'm transacting in different amounts, I have to actually break it down. Maybe I got to hire someone to make the smaller coin. It is a little bit annoying to move around, or maybe there's a safety of it just being in the bank. And I can understand the practicality of having, let's keep the gold in the bank and the rest of us can use the paper. But the section, the second you move over to paper, any, any, the biggest dumbass working on a farm can be like, well, wait a second. Like if the, this paper thing, someone's going to try and cheat the system. And of course, the people that were making the paper every single time cheat the system in all of world history, which is that they put out more than exists in the gold, because of course you would do that. Like yeah. you can game theory that all day. If someone's got the opportunity to print the paper that's supposedly backed by the gold, yeah, they're going to print more they're that's there. It. They're going to do it. Gonna they're going to do it. And then you can make the, they can make the sophisticated argument of, well, we know how much gold actually is needed by how many withdrawals it is. So we know that we can actually overprint it. Which, like, yeah, that's convenient for you because you get to, you know, spend the money that's the over. And of course you would do it. Like every online casino, this is what's crazy to me about like what we what we just accept from banking. Lawyers, every lawyer in the in in the world, they've got their um uh the escrow accounts. I think they're called the escrow accounts, which is basically when like houses are gonna close, 
Um, yeah, okay, yeah. There's all these different things that are going on. And so they hold basically money for their clients in escrow. Mm-hmm. Now, they could very easily sit down and go, I know that not all this escrow is being spent within the next week, the next month, the next year. They have a good understanding of that. And they could borrow against it even just to pay their own bills at the end of the week. Hey, I got to cover this bill. I know oh, that yeah. this is sitting here for... If a lawyer does that, if it's one penny off to pay a bill and they're going to put it back in next week, I think they get disbarred or there's big problems for it. <laughs> the entire So now you understand the system understands that that's like stealing messed up that's, we don't allow for it that's unless fraud. you're a bank unless yeah. you're a bank in which case really you can lend out 90 percent of what's coming in you just have to keep 10 percent on hand and you don't even need to do that because they'll lend each other overnight through the repo markets that you hit your 10 percent capital requirement and government will back you up and say hey listen even if it, people overdraw from you we've got your back because we're investing in the whole system so if you're subsidizing a, it at the they're, right. they're not only making it like explicitly legal and then saying it's good for the economy for them to do this, for them to have the power to like I give them a hundred dollars and suddenly they have a thousand dollars, but then they remove the reserve requirements altogether and then they subsidize it. Then they say if they screw up, don't worry, we'll still bail out the customers. So as a customer, you have no need to shop. You have right. no need to stay with the bank that you got. There's there's no there's no difference between a good bank or a bad bank. Just stick with the incumbent. You're good to go. We got you. Which which oddly enough, that sell sounds good. You're like, oh, great. So I don't have to shop around and my money's guaranteed. But you'd be much better off if all these banks were competing for your business. You might actually get an interest rate. You might actually get a banker who is nice to you. You might get a better loan. There's a lot of things that comes with people actually competing, but it's funny that the government steps in and goes, no, 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 we're just going to insure. And and us, we're, we're, we're a bunch of dummies. So we're like, yeah, that sounds great. I'd love to have my money insured. Yeah. And it's, it's basically institutionalizing and cementing bad, bad business practices. Like the only reason business gets better, the only reason you improve business and working standards and customer standards is because customers get sick of the institution that does not give them good service and they move to one that does. If you're stuck, if you're in a situation where there can't even be competition and all of the bad actors are being bailed out, all you do is let bad, irresponsible business choices sustain themselves. You, you just keep funding everybody who keeps going out of business, quote unquote, and, and you never get new business. You never get an actual shift in how well, like we, we, we have the same shitty behaviors that we had in the 70s. All right. So before we get into the appeal of Bitcoin and how it deals with uh, a lot of the shenanigans in the banking system that we laid out, let's get into a little bit of the news of the week. The biggest one being that Coinbase went public. Um, I think if you're a fan of Bitcoin, the high evaluation, at least at the moment, is good for you because it kind of shows... Um, how the extent by which the market is forecasting that there's going to be a lot of transaction and fees in Bitcoin and that there's, you know, built in demand for it. Um, I do, however, think that the evaluation was crazy. And I also know that most people who are really into Bitcoin are not a huge fan of Coinbase. And we'll tell you that that's the wrong place to have your Bitcoin. Full transparency. I went there because I'm an idiot and it was the easiest way, easiest place and way to do it. Um, I'll hand it back to you. It's a, a first question just being if you think coin, buying Coinbase is a decent investment and what you think is going on with the market's evaluation of it. So I'll start with saying I actually think Coinbase going public is a huge deal. Um, they are a they're a massive company in the space. Excuse me. And 
their valuation is pretty amazing. It's pretty extraordinary. Um, and they're bringing in boatloads of revenue. Uh, I do Can not you, like, just, just, yeah. uh, um, because I don't know this, I, uh, what are other companies that are, have like a similar, I guess, market cap would be the term. Like wh who, who does this put, I'm sure they're not on the same page as like a Google or Amazon. So like, who are they kind of on tier with? That's a good question. Um, I, I'm pretty sure they're actually on tier with a lot of the major banks, um, which was a little bit shocking. I saw a like a JP Morgan even. I, I don't think it passes JP Morgan. I, I'd have but to like look they it might up be as big as like a Goldman Sachs or a Citigroup or. I'm if I'm not mistaken, I saw a tweet that somebody was comparing Goldman Sachs statement like calling Bitcoin like a fraud or something like that. And then Coinbase's IPO listing at or above Goldman Sachs valuation. I believe right, so Goldman Sachs was the example. I cut you off in the middle of a very good thought, which I hadn't, <laughs> which I, I, I didn't, I didn't realize until you had said it, but I'll let you finish it, which is you're, I think, suggesting that the fact that like, we're not just in the fringe hands of libertarians, but now we're actually on the stock market with a dominant player um, it means the likelihood of basically the government coming and shutting it down is less likely because more of the institutional players and your pension funds and some of the real money in the system will be there, which means the government probably won't have the power to just completely, uh, you know, basically just make it illegal. Yeah, basically, the more intertwined with the quote unquote legacy system it becomes and, you know, investments in people's pensions and 401ks and stuff, the the increasingly exponentially difficult it becomes to just be like, no, we don't play Bitcoin anymore here. Um, and uh, I, I don't, I, I honestly think that ship has already sailed anyway. Um, but the real thing about Coinbase going public is that now this, this company, this is exchange that just plays in quote unquote internet money um, is a massive, is a massive player in the NASDAQ. Um, and that's a big deal. Like that's, that's Bitcoin kind of sticking it, no, sticking its nose into all of these boardrooms and saying, by the way, everybody who's ignored me, good luck. Like we're here now. Um, but that said, I don't really like Coinbase. Um, I think it's actually really embarrassing that they have so little Bitcoin on their balance sheet. Uh, they have become a shitcoin casino. Basically they just, rushing to get the next token that they can get they've been they've done insider trading um and clearly been you know whether it's leaking data or people within the company buying whatever said shitcoin it is right before it's listed like we've seen this over and over again um they're not even that good of an exchange they constantly buckle under pressure from users i don't know uh, and and they're also damn near like we're responsible for one of the biggest blunders in the history of the bitcoin protocol Luckily, the uh, the user activated soft fork that that whole movement back during the block size wars. I'm not sure exactly what you know about it. I don't. Um, uh, well, basically, they were trying to force a uh, a protocol change. They were trying to um, they they were pushing behind a so uh, a software change to Bitcoin that would have changed the fundamental consensus rules, which means the network would have split. It would have gone out of consensus unless everybody had updated. Uh, and that software, which they got fully behind, they pushed, they demonized everybody who didn't support it um, and tried to throw their weight behind it, saying, we're going to do this and you're going to like it or 
you know, you can you can go off and do your own thing. We're going to we're going to make Bitcoin what we want it to be. Um, and uh, that that software had a critical bug um, and it never actually produced any blocks. The second the software turned on it, the whole the whole thing crashed. Uh, but luckily, the users were like, go right ahead. We're all running nodes. You're not going to be a part of our network. Good luck. Um, and so it completely failed. Um, and had they succeeded, it would have been a disaster for Bitcoin. Uh, but luckily, the users, uh, myself included, I ran one of those nodes, um, <laughs> uh, basically prevented them from having any effect, luckily. That's interesting, but it almost runs counter to what we just said that, uh, you know, Coinbase being out there front and center with some market powers it being good for cryptocurrency and Bitcoin specifically, if anything, it's a that mixed might, bag. It's a yeah, mixed that, bag. Yeah, yeah, might point to some of the uh, or one of the complaints I think you could bring to cryptocurrency is that in some capacities it does work in similarly to stocks or other exchanges but without the regulation. And I'm not a fan of regulation. I don't think the SEC is doing anybody any favors. I also think they probably protect uh, more of the fraudulent actors. Um, and I mean, the Fed certainly is bailing out people, uh, but I don't think that the regulation is helping us. But just in terms of making that, making kind of the, that case, um, I would think that there are more opportunities for fraud within the crypto world uh, such as launching terrible coins or what you're describing, which is very similar to insider trading. If Coinbase knows that they're going to list something on their exchange or that they're going to push it out, out front and center. So then, yes, you, that's almost like being on, I, I guess, theoretically, I don't know if this is a true comparison, but theoretically, that's almost like cheating the system where you're on the front page of Google. So you automatically have a viable business. If you can get in the in with Google, that if they're searching plumber, you're on the you're the first search result. Uh, Google just gave you a working business. And I don't know if yeah. there's so much market demand on Coinbase and so much of this stuff goes there that maybe they can kind of, um, they know their own algorithm for how to push something. But yes, so it, the crypto market has a lot of opportunities for fraud, probably more so than traditional stocks. That's probably part of what's going on with NFTs. I'm sure that will change with time. That's not necessarily even a gripe on Bitcoin as much as it is crypto. And you do have to separate those two things. And I'm sure we'll get into that later. Uh, but just coming back to what you were saying, that might actually be bad for crypto in general if Coinbase is kind of a fraudulent actor and they're the ones that are, you know, currently front and center. It it could be. Um, I think they've, I think they've pulled back on a lot of those sorts of behaviors. Yeah, some um, of it's just getting a market. That's so true. You want that yeah. big? Everyone does it. The high growth shit until you can get to market. And then once mm. you're there, regulated by the SEC, you change all we're of these playing, shitty we're practices. We're playing by the rules. We're, we're doing yeah. it right. Yeah. All of a sudden, that growth's not there anymore. And you're like, yeah, because it's almost like taking, like, I, 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 it's like taking steroids for the big action film. And then you get in and you get the big paycheck. And you're like, oh, this steroid's bad for my butt. Like, I'm not doing I this be anymore. Doing this. I already got yeah. the paycheck. Why, why do I need to do right. that? Right. It's like we can all study our ass off once for <laughs> one final. That's what going public is. It's your one chance at the giant payday. And so you pull every trick you can. And then you got to clean up your act once you're there. So I do think that's a good point. Yeah. And hopefully there'll be a better exchange. But um, uh, I usually just kind of steer people away for no other reason than they're selling so many shit coins. And uh, I think 
the, the kind of the mindset around all of that is just so backwards. Um, I think I, I think we're just seeing like these constant cycles of selling shopping.com for a billion dollars during the dot com bubble, and there's nothing behind it. You, you know what I mean? Like like the ICO bubble. Now we've got the the DeFi bubble and the NFTs and all this stuff. It's just like it's the same story over and over and over again. And people just get wrecked. You know, so many of the like people who are like hardcore Bitcoiners played that game. Like they know. Like we're just sick of seeing people jump on some ridiculous nonsense coin that's been around for three months, sushi token or whatever dumb shit somebody's come up with this month. And then it skyrockets like 900% because it's got like no liquidity and, you know, they've got 20% staking rewards right now. And you get this short term boom and bust and people just get wiped out. People put so, hundreds of thousands of dollars in this crap and then just watch it all go to zero. Are you a uh, Bitcoin is is money, but everything else is crap um, crypto investor or... Are you a believer in crypto past Bitcoin that like you see that Ethereum has more value, for example, when it comes to actual transactions? So you like Ethereum or maybe there's a different crypto that you like. But I know that it, within the crypto camp, there are two different kinds of investors. There's Carr, mm -hmm. who is the guy who brought me into this world. Hadn't read the Bitcoin standard, which boy. says, I love oh, oh, yeah, he's the man. Are you going to be at uh, um, Childerberg? I'm actually trying to make it this year. Yeah. Hell yeah. I'm doing, yeah. I'm there. Um, Guys, I know some of you, Uh, quick plug. I know some of you guys have hit me up. Childerberg is going to be a blast. I'm there for two full days. I'm just going to be hanging out. I'm doing a show one of the nights with my friend Kyle. And if you're looking for Childerberg online, just go to Twitter, find them on Twitter, message them directly. They'll get back to you with the info. I don't even know if there's formally tickets, but it's definitely <laughs> going to be a fun hangout. Dude, you should I'm come down gonna, for I'm it. It's going to be show it, up, I think. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I think that's kind of the way my it wife, is. But then she was like, camping? N camping? No, 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 no. No, you can get a hotel by there. You get a hotel by there and you, you pick up some barbecue. It's going to be fun, man. I, I think I'm going to. Um, I, I've kind of set my mind to it, Um, but I'm trying to pretend like I'm still thinking about it. But right. I, it's going to happen. Nice. Hell yeah. Um, All right. So we were talking about if, in your opinion, it's oh, yeah. uh, Bitcoin or bust, or if you see utility to some of the other cryptos. Uh, uh, I'll, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm Bitcoin or bust. Um, I'm, I'm a quote unquote Bitcoin maximalist, but I don't want to, I don't want that to come with a lot of the prejudice that is tied to it. You know, usually that means or, or a lot of crypto people mistake that for, oh, this, you know, this person doesn't even want competition in there. They, they love Bitcoin and Bitcoin is the only thing and everything else is shit. And I, I honestly don't care. I do not care. My goal is to end the state monopoly on money. That's my goal. If that means we have 10,000 different stupid currencies all right all right i just i i could not care less i would be ecstatic if that's what happened i do not think that's what's going to happen right everything but, yeah sorry i i think that if you're evaluating because let's uh i guess next we can get to uh your vision for crypto and why you think it's the way that we can defeat the state 
But let's okay. just uh, let's put on our the investor hat for a second. Okay. Uh, so the argument against these other cryptos would be that they don't really have the white paper, the perfect white paper decentralized currency in the same way that Bitcoin does. And so they're actually a slightly different product. You have more technical expertise. So I'll hand it back to you so that you can explain at least why your opinion, uh, Bit Bitcoin is a worthwhile currency, why everything else uh, is something that's something a little bit different. So... It being decentralized and being independent is not something that's like a light switch. Like it's not just like the code is there and therefore it is. Um, it's something that has to be earned. You know, it's like it's like the security of a new cryptographic protocol. Like you can't just be like, oh, this is secure. And then like there's some magic sauce where they can just know that, oh, this is the best cryptographic protocol that's ever existed. It has to be beat to death for 15 years before they're like, okay, okay, yeah, we, we beat the hell out of it and it stayed working. Um, and that's kind of the same thing with a decentralized protocol um, is it has to make through a very important, get through a very important maturation phase before you can actually call it decentralized. And that's where I think like the block size war that actually happened back in 2017, Bitcoin survived all of those tests. Um, and at the end of the day, this is money. This is money. It, it is the one of the most like cohesive like communication tools that we have at our disposal. There's a reason we're not speaking two different languages right now is because communication protocols tend toward one. You know, we don't log into like one of our favorite five internets. We log into the internet. Now, there were a lot of attempts at modifying and making a quote unquote better internet protocol but we all ended up on TCP IP. I think that's exactly what's going on with Bitcoin and all of these currencies is everybody just, it's open source and it's free and there's so much ignorance around what money is and how these systems, like how, how protocols will develop as time goes on. And there's so much money to be made by printing your own money. You, like, you could just make bukus if you could just type into a computer, I have a million tokens and then sell those tokens for actual money. Um, the incentive there is just astronomical. So if you think you've got some sort of little marketing gimmick or some little feature or tweak that you're like, I'm better than Bitcoin, you're going to do it. Um, so I think this is an inevitable stage of the whole thing. Well, there's something fascinating to me that if you were to compare, let's say you, you, at the end of the day, most people, because Bitcoin is not the easiest thing to transact in, um, it, sure. so it it is a little bit something more something that you buy as a store of value. Uh, but that also means that as a store of value, you're kind of competing with stocks. That I can say, hey, I think GM's a really good store of value because it's got this income stream tied in, and I think that you know they've got growth opportunity, and all stocks traded a P ratio, you know, they're all kind of 15 or now, I don't know what the fuck it is. They historically it was 15, man. It might be like 25, 30. I'm not really in the market. Now it's in any, ridiculous, but yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm really not in the market in any, in any capacity, but it's in, in that sense, you're kind of buying future earnings, but you're not really, because once it's at 30 times the price to earning ratio, you're more buying the market demand for that asset, which is partly why uh, stocks are, are so inflated. Um, so you can almost look at, you know, the crypto such as Bitcoin, 
in some ways is it is competing with hey do i want to go buy general motors and hold that stock um now what's interesting when you start considering that and we can get into why we think bitcoin has so much utility versus you know just buying general motors stock but as you get further away from bitcoin and just into the land of crypto why would i buy dogecoin with zero returns right? Like, I mean, I get it. I guess I'm saying there's so many idiots out there that kind of think Dogecoin's funny that the, the demand for it's going to go up as more and more people just go, hey, this is funny to buy into, right? Like we're all just going to buy into the joke coin, yeah. which then it gives it value, but that's way less predictable than, you know, or, or, or I would think it's way less predictable than going, hey, I like the potential future revenues of General Electric. Gotcha. So in, in the context of stock versus a money, something that is a money, is a monetary good is specifically one that is independent. Like this is why gold was historically, it, it really is the best money like throughout history and it had the longest, the longest Lindy effect. It had the longest place where it was the dominant, like metallic metals were the key thing in most of history. Um, and the reason is, is because Anything that like money is proof of work. Money is that thing which secures the value you produced in the past and lets you use it later in the future. You know, if I buy a sandwich, that's just rotten in like two days, right? Don't talk if, down to sandwiches. Not on my <laughs> podcast. You got you to gotta eat them quick. You got to eat them <laughs> quick there. Um, if I buy a car. You know, it's going to rust in a couple of years. It's going to start like wearing down. You know, it's not new after it's been sitting in my garage or it's sitting in my driveway and weathering for a couple of years. Like things do not maintain their nature very well. Everything degrades. The thing that is money, the thing that ends up being money is the thing that sustains itself, sustains its characteristics best over time. And uh, actually, uh, I think it's Rothbard that says money is the ultimate hedge against uncertainty. It is the good with the greatest demand in the economy and that can satisfy uh, like everybody actually buying into it, everybody getting it. And then it keeps all of those characteristics, even though everybody is actually buying into it. Like anything else is like we bought houses like crazy to store value. People would just build more houses. You know, the, the supply can actually continually increase um, with the demand and therefore it can't be ultimately scarce. Um, people will just figure out all the new ways to do this. Like scarcity is an incredibly difficult thing to come by. And that's why the monetary metals were so unbelievably good at this is because you can't make any more gold. You and, and getting trying to find more of it gets more and more difficult as time goes on and as adoption spreads. So it becomes an incredibly good store of value. That's the fundamental purpose of money. And that's the fundamental purpose of Bitcoin. But it's a protocol. It is it is digital scarcity. It is the discovery of a, a way to keep tally of things in the digital world that cannot be copy pasted. The all the payment systems like talking about using it as money. Uh, like, you know, TCPIP kind of sucks for streaming. You have to build another layer on top of it to actually make it so that we can packet stream. And it actually looks like a consistent piece of video. Same thing happens with Bitcoin. You just, you put a new layer on top of it. 
It is a base layer protocol where it has it it basically figures out a way in a uh, in a new digital system to mimic all of the best characteristics of gold. It does it better. It does it more perfectly because it's digital. You can tally it all the way down to a hundred millionth of a unit. All right. So just to get into this base protocol okay. idea, which is yeah. this is the first I've heard it put in that those terms, and it's fascinating. Um, and going off what you were saying that there's going to be a race to one, uh, because when it comes to technology, we usually build off of one. Uh, so why is it that the like the NFTs or other derivative products seem to be being built off of Ethereum? and not Bitcoin. Or maybe I have that wrong. Maybe I'm just hearing that secondhand. But from what I understand, more of the electronic, uh, I, I guess more of the transactional stuff is being built off of not Bitcoin. So uh, like in the context of NFTs, like NFTs, I think are a massive bubble. Like an NFT is just a signature. That's all it is. You know, like, like maybe I'll pay a lot for Pablo Picasso's signature. Um, but I'm not going to pay a million dollars for some internet artist. But that's all it is. NFT is a signature. It's a, it's a signature tied to a specific file. Um, but like you still copy and paste the file. Like all, all you've got is the signature. That's all it is. So people paying hundreds of millions of dollars or whatever for these things, I think, are just completely lost in the oh, it's a new gadget and it's going to be the new. It's going to be the new freaking cool thing. Uh, I, I think it's short lived. Um, whatever. Well, I think the, the, the collectible aspect, which is what you're referring to. I agree with you. I yeah. think it's completely stupid. I don't think it's here to stay. And I think we're going to find out at a later junction in time that there was some sort of a fraud or tax scheme that was in some way driving Probably. these prices. Yeah. Uh, however, I do understand the utility of electronic contracts and mm -hmm. that being tied to the blockchain, um, you know, bypassing some of lawyers, uh, all sorts of like the same way, I, I maybe this example is not a perfect example, but Airbnb and Uber came in, destroyed the hotel and yeah. uh, and the cab markets. Right yeah. in New York City, you could not like I remember you could not just decide, hey, I'm going to be a cab driver for tonight. I remember reading an article in the New York Post in high school about some dude who tried doing that and got arrested, and he was like, Nah, they're just tipping me. The rides are free. Now they figured out a techno like a way through technology to basically do all those transactions, it kind of skirted whatever that old legal system was that they couldn't declare it illegal or that you were a cab driver. And then that boom, good old all regulatory of a sudden, arbitrage and they, right. they scooted right through. Yep. They figured it out. So I guess as a theoretical, I don't know all the applications of this, um, digital contracts might have the same capacity. Whereas like, for example, I, I this I kind of know because my dad used to be a real estate lawyer. So if mm -hmm. I'm selling my house to someone, I mean, I need a lawyer to do the closing. I need a title company. Um, to actually say that the house is in my name. There's probably going to be brokers on both sides. There's a lot of people that get a get their hand in that little uh, that little ordeal. Not to mention, I'm sure there's something with a mortgage broker. <laughs> I could see as a theoretical the NFT version of that, where it's like, no, we're just going to have a perfect record over here. We'll call it the the housing the housing house coin, right? It's going to be house <laughs> coin, and it's readily recognized by a lot of people that the house coin's good. We, we hired some lawyers out in India who did the whole thing for cheap. And it's a contract. If you say I bought this house, you said I sold that house. That's it. It's up on the house coin record. That's the end of it. You could potentially cut out, you know, basically gut an entire industry and all of a sudden have something that was costing you. I mean, without exaggeration, probably thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 between all those people. Maybe I'm wrong there. I might have that way wrong. 
Right now it's costing you two, three hundred dollars. It's it's cost thousands of dollars to close those contracts. Like it's right. ridiculous, you know. So you could potentially just shift that over to a digital infrastructure that as long as other people accept it, it's almost not that different than currency. If I want to accept a you know a Bitcoin as payment from you, I accepted it. If mm -hmm. I if, if there's enough people that want to recognize that the permanent record online of that I own this house is just as good as that old title insurance that you have to pay for, then that's fine. I get like we we that, that could theoretically happen. So the NFT in its current iteration, which is this, um, like what you described, is basically you know an autograph. Uh, it's stupid. That 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 has no function. The idea of a digital contract does make a lot of sense to me, and I do think that that's something that's going to be a largely growing industry. And just back to my my the, the previous question, from what I understand, that utility function of um, the blockchain seems to be happening more, I guess, with Ethereum than it is with Bitcoin. From what you're saying from a technical standpoint is it could just as easily happen on Bitcoin because even though the Bitcoin is a little bit inefficient, it's not that hard to create the secondary structure on top of it that handles this stuff. I don't know internet at all. I'm, I, I don't know how yeah. YouTube works that they've created a secondary structure. IFP, is that what you called it? Uh, TCP IP. TCP I knew there yeah. was a P in there. I heard the P. I was like, I can remember the letter P. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'll hand it back to you in terms of why you, why you still think, well, firstly, if you think in that capacity, NFTs or the blockchain will have value for not currency purposes. And if blockchain will be, I mean, if Bitcoin will be the, uh, crypto to capture that market. Sure. Um, yes, um, Bitcoin will be the one that captures the market. Um, and the reason is, is because all you actually need to do is tie a contract to a hash and put it in a transaction. You can easily do that. So all, that whole long rant of mine, it's just, it's, if I just it's do just, a technical it's language, attaching it's just a, a software hash. result right. to, to a hash, to, to a, to a set of keys. Um, and you can easily do that. On, in fact, they do have NFTs on top of Bitcoin. The reason they're not a big deal is because there's no market for it in Bitcoin. Like you sell it to crypto people. You sell it to people who don't, who aren't in it for it. Well, I, this is a generalization, but who aren't in it largely for sound money, who aren't thinking about like building a base infrastructure layer for a new monetary system. They think this is a new app. They think this is a new toy. And so they're rushing to get the next thing that's going to go up in price 10x this week. Um, and so the, all the market is on Ethereum for those things. You can easily put an NFT on Bitcoin. People do. In fact, there's, I think, uh, I, I don't know. There's like two or three things that I know and people have tried to like catch on. But Bitcoiners don't buy it. Bitcoiners just buy Bitcoin. Um, so that's the difference. Um, but it's, this sort of stuff is program agnostic. Um, so like there's a there's an example of uh, there's a tool called God dude, I have to explain so many layers of this. Um, it's ridiculous how technical some of this stuff gets so quick. Um, but uh, like so, lightning lightning is a great example of a second layer on top of Bitcoin. I use it all the time. I use it every day. Uh, I do four or five transactions every single day in Bitcoin. Um, maybe even more. You know, some days it's a, it's a ton, and it depends on if like like if somebody's listening, like streaming my podcast on. Uh, there's an app called Sphinx, and people pay me like twenty cent a minute to uh, to stream my podcast. And so, like, I might get I might get like two hundred transactions one day just because somebody's listening to something on Sphinx. None of that is actually on the Bitcoin blockchain. It's on a layer on top of on top of Bitcoin. And in that layer, 
you can write like all the complexity and stuff. In fact, like, in fact, RSK is actually an example. It's a quote unquote, it's like a side chain on top of that's attached to Bitcoin that actually runs Ethereum code. So again, you could do all of this stuff on Bitcoin. The reason it catches on with Ethereum is because the market is, that's the casino market. Um, I, I genuinely think, uh, and that they're, they're specifically selling to people who are interested in that kind of gimmick. And you think right it's now. all at some point in the near future, that's all going to get gutted once enough, once enough things bust that everyone gets spooked by it. Well, the idea is that none of these things need their own token. You know, if, if the only way that you could use Facebook was to go buy Facebook coin first and then pay a Facebook coin every time you posted. Right. You, would be you wouldn't you, Facebook. No one would use it. Right. Like it would be annoying as piss. The only reason that these things are catching on right now is because people think they're going to buy Facebook coin and then it's going to go up in price 20 X. Right. Uh, and I think that's just 99.99% like so, of what's happening. To go with your example, it's almost like buying the casino chips thinking the casino chips are going up in value. Exactly. I mean, obviously the casino yeah. chips are tied to the US dollar. Like, I don't think- But the, can... but in the context of like all of these tokens, they're not tied to anything, right? They're right. just free floating and they're all illiquid. So the price goes all over the place. Right. Um, but, uh, and in the, like going back to your example though, with the housing contract is I actually think that's a huge thing that will be tied to something like a closure on Bitcoin. Like maybe you'll actually use your Bitcoin keys to close out a housing contract or something like that. And maybe it'll, it'll actually be collateralized with Bitcoin. But the point is, is that there's nothing the blockchain can do to enforce something that doesn't exist on the blockchain. The like Bitcoin cannot enforce my ownership of my house. Right. Cause there's no, there's no police unit for Bitcoin. There's no, there's no police. Right, unit there's no Bitcoin. court case. There's no court system for Bitcoin. So let's say the, 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 you would need um, a secondary system to go. We all swear by the Bitcoin blockchain. Right. And so it, like, if you're living here, we're enforcing, you know, that the blockchain will remain true in the physical world. But I understand what you're that saying. The connection from the blockchain key to the actual physical house is entirely reliant on the government is entirely right. reliant, reliant on some centralized system. Therefore, calling it decentralized because you put it on a blockchain is irrelevant because right. it's got centralized enforcement. So if the government comes and steals my house, it doesn't matter that they can't update, update the blockchain because they don't have my keys. Right. They still got I'm my house. Saying, I, right? I, understand, I understand 100% what you're saying. Yeah. I, I, as a theoretical, I'm just, we're, we're in the land of fucking, you know, sure. nonsense in, right here. We're in fantasy. Let's, let's do you it. You could theoretically have a decentralized enforcement system where different firms are actually bidding for the contract of enforcement. So our current model and I we're, we're in La La no, Land awesome. right now. Yeah. yeah, we're in La La Land right now. Yeah. And, and then and this Great might La La be Land. this might be a good segue into uh your vision for uh why more libertarians need to be, you know, talking Bitcoin investing in it, but this is interesting cuz essentially uh, like the current basically basically if I got my neighbors doing something shitty, I guess my option is the U.S. court system, the U.S. police. That's it. Um, and that also means they're not really competing to actually help me out. There's a lot of there's a lot of faults in that system. Mm -hmm. uh, not to mention the fact that I would be reluctant to call the police in any capacity <laughs> because I'm just like, well, how does this get turned on me? I'm inviting. I, I feel like if you call the police, right, you're inviting trouble into your life yeah. because, like, you're. You, I, I it, it's like 
going to see the mob. Yeah, they might help you out. The Dom might help you out with your problem, or you might have just stepped into his office and now he's aware of you. It has to be a serious he, situation. It has to be a very serious situation because yeah. otherwise I, I don't want to be You're inviting right? trouble into your life. And I honestly, that, 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 that is the way I feel about it. So this is interesting. If you had a blockchain where I basically go or, you know, keeping the record of that this house is mine. I go away on vacation. Somebody's living in the house. And so basically I just report back to the blockchain. Hey, this is here. It's a perfect registry. And, you know, here's the picture of them living here. And that, that it, it, instead of, and by the way, I can go further with this. This is getting interesting. Instead of me just calling the cops, it's now like flag, like, hey, we've got a problem. Who wants to go investigate, I guess, to verify that this problem is accurate? And then who wants to enforce it? Now, here's the other interesting thing. It could almost become an insurance type thing where built into the price of blockchain, right? You're almost purchased, like there could be almost a secondary network where, you want to contribute to the enforcement of that contract, which essentially would work as an insurance policy, right? Because it means that if an issue comes up, there's now funds available to both pay for the resources of verifying that your claim is accurate and then someone who could initiate force against it. So you could potentially have a perfect system for decentralized funding of these things that everyone's like, how do how can it exist without government? And it would work better because they have to actually compete to put in their bid for, hey, I'm like, I'm I'm the judge and I'll go look into that at blank cost. So yeah. it's actually cheaper. And it would just come out of the insurance fund of you saying, hey, I want to contribute to um uh to th- like the enforcement, you know? To, to like my adjuster, my 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 contract uh, like adjudicator. Um God damn, no, no, we just see, solved the world's problems, dude. <laughs> no, see, like there there is, is actually like huge potential there, but the and the idea is to make sure all players have skin in the game. So in the context of like the housing contract, is that it's insanely difficult to try to think of an adversarial scenario in uh in which you can have someone else enforce the contract for you violently. However, what you could do is have the person that you're trading with put up as collateral the same value of the house so that you're all putting up like equivalent value in Bitcoin in the thing that the blockchain, the system itself can actually validate and can actually secure the ownership of. And that if something goes wrong or somebody tries to cheat the system, well, then you get the value of the house, whether or not you can actually obtain the physical house. So. Like that's actually right. you you everybody has the value of the house as skin in the game to conclude this contract agreement. And, and that's actually the idea of the Lightning Network is that it does that with a payment system. Is that you've got uh, you're staking Bitcoin into a contract that you can constantly update, even though you're not broadcasting back to Bitcoin. And then there's an insurance clause that says that if at any point someone tries to exit from this contract while the other person isn't there, there's this period of time where that other person can challenge whether or not they told the truth to Bitcoin. And since every update has to be signed by all the parties, if they only have one signature, the other person can prove that a later transaction happened. And so there's like an insurance clause built in and Bitcoin is the court system. Bitcoin is the court system that proves, shit, you only have one signature, you tried to cheat. You 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 tried to you tried to say that this old transaction was the latest and it wasn't, and then that person gets all of your money. Everybody's got skin in the game, um, and that's how you can create a new network on top of this thing in which 
where everybody's like, oh, Bitcoin doesn't work very well with payments because because you might have like $3 transaction fees or something. Well, Lightning has like a tenth of a penny as a transaction fee. Um, and I do it, like, like I said, maybe even 100 times in a day uh, because of this skin in the game contract that I have that allows me to constantly update and do thousands of payments. Is, tens it, of is thousands it like an old payphone where your podcast plays and then it like after three minutes goes, please insert another quarter. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you fund, you fund your wallet. So like Sphinx is, it's just connected to your lightning wallet. Right. And, um, it, uh, uh, it's value for value. So they're, they're donating the money. They don't actually have to. I'm trying to actually in the process of building a feed that doesn't have ads specifically for Sphinx. So oh, the nice. people who are doing that don't have to listen to the ads. Right. Um, and uh, and what they could do is they just they just say, oh, I'm paying nine dollars. I mean, paying nine sats a minute or I'm paying 90 sats a minute. I'm paying 23 sats a minute. doesn't matter. They just choose. Um, and uh, and then as they're listening to it, when it hits another minute, it just automatically pays. Nice. Um, so they don't, right. they don't really do anything. They just set what their their price tag is. So I got two more questions for you and then we're going to wrap it up. And the next one is the big one, which is, <laughs> so give us the pitch, give us the pitch for why Bitcoin is the best tool for taking on the U S government. And, you know, give us this, give us the big glamour speech. Maybe I'll get like some, uh, fucking Braveheart music in the background, but you're, you're a firm believer in, uh, what Bitcoin can do for us. So, you know, educate us. So, the greatest tool that government has to control and manipulate the economy is the ability to print promises that nobody else has the ability to print. They, the ability to create money out of thin air is the ability to consume an unlimited amount of resources and never give anything back to the economy. It is the ultimate power in an economic system. Bitcoin completely immunizes the economy from that tool. You cannot print Bitcoin. Anyone who attempts to cheat that system at all is evicted from the entire network. You cannot send fake Bitcoin to anyone who runs a node. And you cannot connect to the network if you are trying to create fake Bitcoin. The, the United States government would have absolutely no way to monetize its debt. No way at all. And the when you look at history, have you ever read The Sovereign Individual? No. It's an incredible piece. I highly, highly recommend that book. Um, it is an incredible piece uh, back from the 90s, actually. It's like 96 or 97, I think. Um, talking about, it's, a, it's basically a theory of history, um, and I, I think it's accurate, that the, the state of government and systems that we have, like governance systems that we have over history, are directly related to and consequences of the cost and reward of violence at scale. And you got to repeat that for me. It is it's the difference between the cost and the reward of executing violence on a population at scale. So when we actually became an uh, an agricultural society, when we stopped being the reason governments didn't exist when we were nomads is because we didn't have any wealth built up. The amount of wealth that you had, you had to carry on your back. So there was no excess to actually confiscate. When we stopped in one place, and if, and if you were violent against somebody, they would just leave. That's all they did, right? They just left. They went where the herds went. So as soon as we stopped and became an agricultural society, 
we started building up massive amounts of wealth, but we were also stuck. We were stuck where we were. So suddenly, coming with your buddies with a bunch of sticks and confiscating 10% of your wealth, you actually had, because you had built up now a house, a farm, a family, oxen, all sorts of stuff, it made a whole lot more sense for you to just give up 10%, keep your 90%, and they got incredibly wealthy because they just had some sticks and the willingness to go beat you with it. That is the, the, the reward for violence on a huge scale was massively increased during that period. And all of the things that really changed that context, that risk-reward ratio of violence in history are actually coincide with the biggest changes in government and how government works. In other words, the more wealth that's created, the more profit there is for government. For being violent, yes. And being violent, right. And then the fundamental tools that really And then they also can things. become more powerful. So it almost, it's like a bug it's in a the feedback system. Loop. It's a feedback loop. Yeah, it's a bug in the system that the more wealth that's created in tandem, the more powerful government can become uh, to extract from it. But then it, it, it and, and then in the opposite way, it's like they can only slow down growth for humanity. So it's like, it, they're it's a, a weird, poison. They're, they're, yeah. They're they're a poison that's that the ex excess wealth actually feeds them, but then they're a parasite and they end up growing to a size like like a cancer that ends up feeding on the very wealth creation mechanism until until it dies and the whole thing has to refresh. And all of the great technologies in history, the longbow, gunpowder, all of these things drastically changed how the dynamics of those government systems actually worked and you saw huge shifts in what type of government emerged on the other side of those things. And then you had the age of enlightenment and you had so many governments change with the printing press because one of the key elements of uh, maintaining government power was a religious belief in the government and the printing press destroyed it because no longer did the scribes in the church actually define what was holy, who had power. Now you could just change, you could exchange ideas freely and for almost no cost. Or um, I think the, the, um, the cost of a book uh, over the, between 1500 and 1600 dropped by like one six hundredth, um, or it dropped to one six hundredth of the price. Like the, the, the scale of cost of information during that period is just absolutely astronomical. And we had a renaissance straight out of it. We had like revolutions all across the world in consequence of the printing press. The internet has absolutely done what the printing press has done and then some. The ultimate, the, the ultimate barrier to freedom is the cost to exit. Our wealth is dependent on government. Our wealth is dependent on our jurisdiction. All of our money is based on authority. It's just whether the bank says we have it, which is whether the regional federal the regional reserve bank says they have it, the federal reserve has it, the government says they have it. It's all authority from the top to the bottom. Bitcoin is money, is value without any of that authority. It does not give a shit whether you're the president of the United States or a 12-year-old in Guam. You have equal power over your capital. You can hold wealth that does not give a shit or have any idea about what jurisdiction on the planet you are in. And the cost to exit with that value is to memorize a couple of words.
If you can memorize a key, you don't have to shove 30 pounds of gold up your ass. You can memorize a few words and walk naked across the border and you could have a billion dollars in that other country. And there's not a damn thing the government can do about it. You know, it's uh, firstly, that's uh, one of the most interesting three minutes we've ever had on Run Your Mouth. So thank <laughs> you for that. And I, I definitely have to go uh, read that book. But I think uh, what you just described, uh, there's been a lot of sci-fi movies um, yeah. where The Day the Earth Stood Still is the best example that's coming to mind, where basically the, the sci-fi idea was that maybe there could be an alien creature that's almost going to be have the third-party monopoly on violence, and they're going to have a better way of like imposing... Uh, and they're going to actually use it to combat other people being violent. And so it's going to make the world a more peaceful place because you've got like this alien creature, right. That's audit that, that is more powerful and is going to police away any, any violence. You've almost described that. Like we've kind of created that alien creature uh, when it comes to distributing currency, which is the Bitcoin algorithm, right. Which isn't going to let like it, it, it's got, it's like a different, it's on a different intelligence playing field. It's not a banker who can make a decision for you, right? It's like this uh, alternate thing that's keeping this perfect record and it doesn't distinguish like- It doesn't it, care not, anything. It doesn't know anything right. about you and it doesn't- The status shit. doesn't matter. Yeah. Yep. And um, it's, it is a court system for the ownership of capital that is entirely external to all of the political systems of the world. And you can run the entire and court and they have a track on record your of, computer at home. Right. And they got the track record of using that power to steal wealth. It's not like yep. they've got, it's not like we're looking at some system and going, hey, they've been perfect stewards of wealth for the last thousand years. Why would we, ch why would we challenge them on this? <laughs> Look at how good of a job they're doing. It's like, they failed no, no. miserably. They've yeah, failed they, so they bad. They repeatedly <laughs> use this to extort as much as they possibly can. So yeah. here's an, a better system. Uh, that removes that. Okay. So last question is, uh, we were talking a lot last week about the uh, digital one. And basically, the inverse of what you're describing is that the power of the American government exists in the fact that it's the reserve currency of the world. Mm -hmm. The more demand there is for US dollars, the more that they can kind of inflate the currency. The benefit which you and I have not spoken about is that while government gets a lot of its power from inflating and in doing this also... There are some economic benefits in terms of the social programs that we're able to offer to our citizens without necessarily bearing some of the costs of um, inflation. Stated differently, if there wasn't a shit ton of our money in contracts in other countries and there wasn't endless demand seemingly for U.S. dollars, if we were to be running all the programs that we're trying to run here, the cost of money would be interest rates of 10, 15 per, it wouldn't, we couldn't yeah, do it. It, it would, would not exist. It'd be absolutely insane. Yeah. It just wouldn't exist. It, it, like it would not be a functional system. The fact that there's so much demand for dollars allows us to be able to, um, it props the whole thing up. It yeah. props the whole thing up. And so there is some benefit to people. Like I, it's not a benefit I agree with. And mm -hmm. also I don't know that anyone's really winning versus the economic growth that would come <laughs> from the system without government and with all the freedom. But there, there is, there is a little bit of a benefit there, um, but what's interesting about the digital um, one and also Bitcoin is that it potentially takes away that power from the U.S. from the U.S. government, which is purposely what you're looking to do and yep. what I would be looking to do because we understand economic growth and the fact that 
hey, listen, you, you might think that $1,000 a month for not working is good for you, but it, it really isn't. But anyways, let's, uh, I'm, I'm going to ADD here. Let's, uh, let's scrap what I just said over the last three minutes. I'm not going to actually make it and edit a post. Now let's just talk about the, the digital, the digital one. Okay. Uh, do you, do you think that that's going to harm Bitcoin's case in any way? And do you think that, or do you maybe think that it's like the enemy, the enemy is my friend and that they're going to weaken the dollar a little bit. And so you're going to get closer to what you're looking for of people moving towards digital currency. And the end game is actually that even in China, they're not really going to be able to compete with this thing. So maybe, maybe this works in our favor. Yeah. So short answer on, is it going to compete? Is it like a concern for Bitcoin? No, not at all. Um, it's uh, in fact, it's actually a benefit to Bitcoin because the, uh, it's actually Carr actually used a tweet the other day that, uh, or, or yesterday, I think that was really kind of poetic was that the, the, one of the things that the Bitcoin system solves is finding consensus, finding a, a sense of truth in an incredibly adversarial environment. How does everybody agree on something that is real when you can't trust any other participant? It's called the Byzantine generals problem. And for decades, it was taught in computer science as an impossible problem. Bitcoin is what is is basically a solution to that problem. It's, it's quote unquote probabilistic, but it is a solution to that problem. Government still has that problem. Currencies still have that problem. And that's what the digital yuan is just throwing a wrench into the chaos of all of the various fiat currencies. Bitcoin exists everywhere all at once, all at the same time. Bitcoin, again, does not give a shit what country it's in. It exists everywhere. And it has got a feedback loop where it is perfectly scarce. If anybody discovers its utility in storing value, it becomes more valuable every single time you add another person to the network. Um, and the digital yuan is specifically being the reason, like we live in the era where all of our institutional trust is splintering everywhere. Like, like that is that is the thing that codifies the era that we are going through. The trust in the incumbent systems is collapsing across the board. Everything is in chaos right now. We are going through a massive transition. You don't just re you don't just like reset that trust because now you have a digital version of your currency and now all of the problems went away. It's still just a centralized it's it, it's digital already. It's digital already. You, you know, it's not any different. They just swipe in your credit card and then you're going to swipe your credit card and it's going to go to a different back back end system. But it's going to look the same on the front end for everybody else. And they're still going to have the power to print it. In fact, they're probably going to print it harder. They're probably going to cheat it harder. They're probably going to control it harder. They're going to wrap it into their social credit system. And people aren't even going to spend, be able to spend their money if they say the wrong thing or criticize the wrong person. It's going to be worse. It's going to be 100 times worse than what we already have. Bitcoin is going to be the only thing that they can hold that doesn't get those restrictions, that is actually independent, that they can take with them when they have to get, scramble and uh, crawl their way across the border because they insulted the wrong person in the Chinese communist government. And uh, now they, they don't have the ability to spend money anywhere. They can't even get a plane ticket. Bitcoin is going to be the only thing they can take with them. And that feedback loop is just going, it's just going to continue to accelerate. And everything you, you actually brought it up not too long ago, Gresham's law. When you have a good money, 
enter an economic space where there is a bad money, the good money, just all of the, all of the value just bleeds into the good money and the good money disappears. It just disappears from circulation. Everybody hoards it. Everybody takes it out because all of the, and all of the bad money, every single, this is the key thing about values. You can only hold it in one place at once. You know, I can have a Facebook account and a Twitter account at the same time. If I have a dollar in value, it's either in the dollar or it's in Bitcoin. So when I am buying Bitcoin, it is specifically at the cost of the dollar. And as all of that value, this thing's a trillion dollar asset, $3 trillion asset, 10 trillion. It's going to get to a point where buying Bitcoin results in a dip in all of these other currencies. And Bitcoin is the good money. It is the perfectly scarce money that does not have any ambiguity about his rules, its rules at all, has no politicization. It does not care who you are or who you criticized or where you're from. And it is going to constantly gain value against all of these other currencies. And it is going to suck value like a black hole out of all of them. And the more and more digital we go, the quicker that suck is going to occur, the quicker that money is going to drain into Bitcoin. So bring on the digital you want. I'm, <laughs> I'm jacked. Bring That's me a digital good. dollar, That's bring me a digital euro, I, all of it. I wish I'd be plugged right into that shit. <laughs> all right. That that's the best pitch for uh Bitcoin anyone's ever heard or that's ever been given. <laughs> Let's call it there. Really awesome episode. Uh uh well, we're gonna have to do it again. And I hope you make it down to Childerberg's so that me, you and Car can Hell yeah, uh, we'll hang out. I'll get drunk. The, uh, the rest of the Childerberg game yeah. can uh party together. So let um everybody go follow these two podcasts, Shitcoin Insider, the inside scoop on why most of the new coins coming out are total shit. And then the <laughs> other one, which is uh once a month, is uh Bitcoin Audible. Oh no, that's that's flipped. Bitcoin Audible is every day. Bitcoin's Bitcoin oh, Audible is when I pump out. Yeah. My bad. Bitcoin Audible every day and uh follow guy, guy Swan on Twitter. Thanks, man. Hell yeah, man. Good times. <laughs>